Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 1 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 29. As we had left off, uh, we'd gone through Saul's uh, consulting a medium, uh, the witch at Endor, and great things to think on, and we talked pretty thoroughly about that. For me, it's this, all, this whole thought of uh, who are you consulting, who are you talking to, who are you listening to, who's giving you the input and the guidance and the direction, who's got a platform in your life, that, those kind of things were running around in my mind for the last few weeks as we started in chapter 27, uh, because David said in his heart, and so David had his own conversation just with himself, and that's where this kind of picked up this whole thought. So really the thought in these few sessions that we've had regarding this are really who are you listening to or who are you going to or where are you seeking counsel from? Because it's interesting, David just interacted with his own heart and he got himself in trouble. He ended up, you know, kind of partnering with a with Achish and, uh, you know, a, a king from the Philistines. And it just ended up being a pretty big mess. You know, now at the end of, or the first part of chapter 28, that king is saying, hey, you know, we're buddies, so I'm going to war and you're going with me. You know, we're, you're on my team now. And that's where that counsel got him. It got him living. He listened to his own self and that got him living in a place he never should have lived. He was really out of touch with really God's, leading God's will at this time. So David's not in really a good place on any front in that sense. He's got spiritually active and, you know, not seemingly, you know, it looked like a lot of activity going against, remember, doing these reconnaissance missions from Ziklag going out and, and, and saying he was, you know, taking out, you know, uh, the Israelites, but not really. He was fighting against other, other, other Philistines and other groups like this. So it, it all looked good. But it was really a mess. The whole thing was a mess. And that happened just from taking his own counsel, okay? So, and th- that was a, its own study. I know that. So was last week when we spent time talking about Saul going. And who did he go to ultimately? Now, he's really degenerated, right, from being a good leader. He's just way degenerated. He's now, he's gone to a witch to get counsel. Now, you and I think, oh, well, big deal. What, I mean, you know, you just went and talked to, you know, God. Hey, look, at, think about it. That was, you know, thousands, a few thousand years ago. That's a long time ago. How is that really relevant today? Oh, I don't know. Flick through your newspaper. Go to, you know, apps and find it. You know, there's all kinds of stuff where you can go and get your astrology charts and all your other things and mediums and, you know, all these different ways that you can try and find out your future by doing this. We can flick through the channels on TV and watch people. And we see them, you know, saying, oh, yeah, well, your great-grandma from the past has come back and wants to tell you this and this. And we explain that, how that can all happen. So, but that's where he's gone to get counsel. He's not just gone to the world. He's not just gone to a friend that's messed up. He's not just gone. He's gone to the dark side to try and get counsel for his life. What a mess. I mean, it's totally degenerated. Now, David, so we've kind of wrapped that part up. Saul went off and uh, was 
ultimately going to engage in battle here before too long. And back at the ranch here in chapter 29, verse 1, we're way back with now, we're picking back up with David and what was happening with David. Verse 1, then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Apek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Remember, Achish said, we're going into battle, and you're my bodyguard. Remember, that was where we kind of left off at the, uh, verse uh, 2 or so in, uh, in chapter 28. That's where we left off with this segment of the story. So remember, we're staying with the same thought, though. Ultimately, we're going to find out, where is David getting counsel? Is he learning anything? Is, is he progressing? Is he just in this degenerated state? Where's God in the midst of this? Just be thinking, kind of stirring around with your thoughts on some of those, because that stuff's going to get answered as we go through this. So all these um, warriors and stuff are passing through in front and uh, kind of preparing in their battle lines, getting, you know, just kind of getting themselves all amped up to go to war. And then the princes of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? Saying, you know, what you, what's David and his 600 guys doing running with us in this situation? This is what they said. And Achish said to the, the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? You know, so it's been, remember, 18 months or more, you know, he's been in this situation with them, 16 months, something like that. And to this day, I have found no fault in him. This is Achish speaking. I haven't found any fault in him since he defected to me. Since he left Saul's camp in Israel and came and kind of partnered with me here in Ziklag, since that's gone on and I gave him Ziklag to live in, and since Achish is saying, since he's been with me, there's been no problem. I mean, this guy's been faithful to anything I've asked him to do. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, make this fellow return that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him. Send him back to Ziklag and do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. Somehow, what if he switches sides all of a sudden in the mix? In other words, how can we trust him? You know, this is the big question. This gets into some interesting things. For with what could the, he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? He says, you know, there's no way this is going to balance out. He's going he's to switch in the middle of the warfare. Something's going to go bad. And we don't want it, that to happen. Is this not David? So they're going back to the, some of the original stories. This is not David, of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying... Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And you remember that saying, you know, from 1 Samuel 18, 7 was when it first comes up. You know, after he, he fights with Goliath and, you know, this is kind of now the, the saying throughout Israel. And it, it really got uh, Saul pretty upset, which was really pretty much the beginning of that, that uh, problem between uh, David and Saul. Then Achish called David and said to him, surely, as the Lord lives, you have been upright. This is what, again, this is what Achish thinks, that he's, he's done right with him and all, because that's all he knows. And you're going out and you're coming in with me uh, in, the, in the army is good in my sight. He says, as far as I'm concerned, everything's good. 
For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. He says basically the guys here, you know, the princes of the land, these other guys, just there's no way. They they they're not in agreement with you going. It can't happen. Therefore, return now and go in peace that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So David said to Achish, but what have I done? Now, this, is, this gets really kind of a weird thing that kind of twists in, to me. Because all, David is, you know, the future king of Israel. We know that because we can read ahead. Um, and he knows he's been anointed to be king of Israel. He knows that. And he knows Saul's ultimately going down. He knows this is all happening, right? That this is going to be, there's going to be an end result that's going to happen that way. And, and now he says, well, but what have I done? Why, I want to go I'm a warrior. I want to go fight with you. I want to go fight with you. And it's just funny how things, you can get caught up in things, especially when somebody tells you no. It's a funny thing that happens. It really is. And it's just one of those weird things that happens to all of us as people. When somebody tells us no, or hey, don't go over there, and that's going to be the first place we're going to go to anyway. Now that someone says don't go over there, it's just a wild thing. So he's been told, no, you can't go with us. And so he says, but what have I done? And to this day, what have, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of the Lord the King? And then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines uh, have said, he shall not go with us to the battle. That is just not going to happen, David. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and, and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So they're going up to go into battle. David's sent home. Just go back to Ziklag, dude. We can't use you in this situation. Now, to me, I read this and I'm just saying, man, what a great thing that God has just done. David, even inside himself, is ready to go sin. And God has intervened. And I just think this is an awesome testimony of God's grace because God really does know David's heart. And this is God's grace. And, and he's not, God, by doing what God's done, I don't think he's approving of where David is. He didn't send David down there, but he's, he still knows David's heart. He knows that uh, David is... Um, a man after his own heart. He knows that he has a desire to follow the Lord deep down within him. This is what's interesting. You see, we've got here King Saul, whose heart just turned away from God totally. And God just acknowledges, hey, he's, he's not for me. And continually, Saul made decisions that were in opposition to the Lord. And so basically, every time he made those decisions in opposition, he was hardening his own heart. And God was just saying, okay, okay, okay. Okay, and what a horrible place to be in where you just harden your heart against God. Another layer. Harden your heart against God. Another layer. It's just callous after callous after callous after callous. And eventually, you just have no sensitivity for the things of the Lord. You can't hear God's voice anymore. You can't discern right from wrong anymore. You start going all of a sudden, not only to the world any longer, but you go to the dark side. 
to witchcraft and, and you know, sorcery and, and different things, witches and trying to find answers to life. It's, it's gotten that distraught for him. He's gotten that distant from God. David, on the other hand, has made some mistakes, certainly, no doubt about it. He's got some failures and some faults, but look in the mirror. So do you. So do I. So do we. That's, that's reality. That's the real deal. I like this. I like the way this is put in here for us. One of the things that I think we need to notice in this, before we, we're going to go in a little bit, not all the way, but just a little bit into chapter 30 in just a minute. But a couple things I think we want to notice. One is, through this, we can see God's faithfulness. Two, we can certainly see God at work in the background, can't we? We can see God moving, God doing things in the backdrop, God, God orchestrating and, and dealing with matters and situations on David's behalf. Well, one of the things that I think that's interesting is this song right here, Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousands, was the very thing that started all the trouble to begin with. That was the thing that upset Saul so much and made Saul go against him. That's the, that's the first thing. When we see that, we should note that and say, well, wait a minute. That's the first thing that brought all this about, and that's in 1 Samuel 18, 7. So it, you go back a little few chapters, and we realize, oh, my goodness, this, this, this is where this all started years earlier. And now Saul's been after David this whole time. And now all of a sudden, God is using that same song the same thing to cause the Philistines to deny David to go off and do this horrifying sin against God and against God's people where he would actually engage in battle and be killing his own, his own people. What Satan means for evil for us, for you and for me, oftentimes, what Satan means for evil, God has this tendency to turn it for good. Satan meant that whole thing to, to, for evil, didn't he? You know, and was using that. that. That was just a song that people started singing just, just because they were so enthused with what, what had happened, you know? And they were excited about it. It was just a, 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 a wonderful thing, really. But Saul, Satan took that. What Satan was gonna, wanted to use that for evil, you know? And twisted that situation and used it for evil. But then God ultimately turns it to good. This is what happened with Joseph. You know, Joseph, all those years, all the things that happened to him, in and out of jail, you know, falsely accused over and over again. You know, all of a sudden, now he's made, you know, right-hand man to the Pharaoh. And it, God's just blessing. God, God is blessing everything that he's doing, everything that's going. God's the one that's blessing. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh just knows, I don't know, this guy, Joseph, man, somehow... It just seems to be coming together for this guy, you know? So Pharaoh's just letting it go. This is great. Then all of a sudden, his brothers come down, the ones that threw him in the pit, that sold him off and pulled him out and said, oh, man, we can't just kill him. We're going to have to at least sell him into slavery. That's the least we could do. You know, so they sell their brother off into slavery. What a horrifying thing. What a horrible experience. You know, as, as they're taking him off, they get a few bucks for him, and, they, and they're going one direction, his brothers are going the other direction, and he's bound now. As a, as a slave. What Satan meant for evil to destroy Joseph. And now, Joseph goes through all these difficulties, all these things. Now he's this, this ruler. God's honored everything. Now his people, his brothers, are coming down to him because they're in need. And they come down to him and he shares with them. Ultimately, if through a sequence of events, as I know we know the story, but through a sequence of eventually, he turns and says, what you guys meant for evil. 
God has turned it for good. God meant it for good. That we could, that God could restore and give life to every to you guys. God's using it. This situation that I got put in, God's using it to, to spare all of us. What a radical concept. That, and every once in a while, you'll find these powerful things just like this in verse 5, that latter part of verse 5 that says, man, that little song, two little lines there, you know, that just are so used by the enemy, in a sense, for all this destructive stuff, but then God takes it back and uses it for something good. And that's true of our lives, and I think it's important for us to watch for that as people who are following the Lord. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, on Sunday mornings, we're, now we won't get there next week, of course you know that, because um, we're just in chapter 4, but in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture in verse 9. Paul's just going through a lot of struggles, and he's pleading with, with God. He's pleading with the Lord, just saying, man, please deliver me from this. I, I, just, I just want to be delivered from this situation, whatever he's struggling with. To me, it, it really doesn't matter what the struggle is, but the reality is, is he really wants deliverance from this. And he said to me, this is Jesus now speaking to Paul in verse 9 in red. You'll see it if you have a red letter edition. But my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Don't you see that with David? David's in a place where he's not even supposed to be. God did not send him. He's in a place he's not even supposed to be. He's about to go to battle against his own people. And at that, willingly. Somewhat he's entrapped himself to some extent. But then all of a sudden, because he really does have a heart for the Lord, even in his own stupidity and lying and conniving and everything that's got him in this spot, the Lord just kind of swoops in out of his grace and his mercy. Because that's what grace is, unmerited love and favor. Did David do anything to merit that in this situation? Certainly not. You know, this is treasonous, obviously, right? This is a horrible situation. But God swoops in in his grace, lovingly, going to really deal with this thing. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Basically, all Paul is saying is when you're at the end of you is really where you and I are going to find the most strength that we could ever have. I think David, not even knowingly, is kind of in this situation. God is at work. God's moving. This whole thing that started all of it to begin with is now being used by God for good. You know, I think one of the things that makes the biggest statement of, of really true trust See, I think there's an interesting thing as, as Christians, as we're following the Lord. It's, we give our lives to Jesus, we, we get saved. You know, so that's the beginning of it. We're born again. We have this new life in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's wonderful. It's a great thing. You know, uh, things, we're seeing things different. We're kind of looking at things differently. All that's true. There's this other, you know, as you kind of grow and you start to mature and you get to develop. The thing is, is to me, this phase that I'm about to talk about right now, it just doesn't end though. 
This phase doesn't end until we get onto the other side. So there's this initial phase, however, whatever duration of time that is. Man, we've been born again. We're seeing things in a different light. You know, maybe for some people say, hey, man, that was three months. For some people, they may say it was six months. Hey, man, I've just, you know, been on a honeymoon with the Lord forever. You know what? Awesome. But there are those times where all of a sudden God allows it to become a little more difficult. Why? Because you have to exercise your faith. And faith is trusting God. If you don't exercise your faith, you don't really grow. You don't really mature. So you have to exercise. If it's difficult, you know, now you're starting to exercise that because of the difficulty. You're going to now, here's a great example of really trust. No longer just hearing about the things of God, but you know, it's one thing we get together, we talk about it in a Bible study and it all sounds good, but all of a sudden when we're confronted with a situation where, man, I've got to trust God in this. It's a totally different thing. Now it's not textbook anymore, you see. Now it's lifestyle, it's application. This needs to be real to me. Do I trust God? Can I count on God to take care of this situation? Or do I need to rush in and deal with it all myself? And how many would say that went very well? Anytime you rush in to try and deal with yourself, it usually turns to bad quickly. It doesn't go well. Because we have finite, limited resources and abilities in comparison to God's vast capacity to, ma- to handle matters on our behalf. We want to trust the Lord. So much of this speaks not of David's faithfulness. Is there anything in chapter 29 that speaks to you about David's faithfulness? None of this speaks about David's faithfulness. This is all his failure. But what it does speak about to me and to you is God's faithfulness. That God is faithful. That God knows your heart. God knows my heart. God knows our hearts. That God knows that and that God will be faithful. I think it's just so great how even though David wants to do this really horrible thing in going again in battle against his own people of Israel, God steps in and intervenes. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, it talks about the Lord searches to and fro throughout the earth, looking for just one man whose heart really is for the Lord. And we know that David was that kind of man, don't we? We know that. And so we kind of, kind of testifies of the reality of that scripture, that God searches the earth for just one, even just one person. And then God will show himself faithful on that person's behalf. That's a good scripture to remember. God's looking for us as we're looking for the Lord. God's going to meet us at those places. And God will show himself faithful to us. You and I, we can trust the Lord. Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for listening again today. And we're just so thankful for those of you who tune in and 
and uh, are getting something out of these messages from God's Word. And sometimes God really begins to tug on our hearts, and He kind of calls us out for a response. And sometimes we want to go and work at something and, and kind of earn our way into things. But, you know, with God, it's just not that way. His Word says, for by grace, that's unmerited love and favor that's been shown to you. That's what that word grace means. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves— It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God wants you to walk in those good works that he's prepared for your life. He wants you to be a living testament of his goodness and his grace. And he doesn't want you to have to work at or earn salvation, but salvation is a free gift. It's by faith that you can have this everlasting life. Simple prayer of faith. Jesus, I want to ask that you would come into my heart, that you would forgive me of all my sin. I want this free gift of everlasting life. I want to be forgiven. I'm tired of carrying this weight of sin and shame. And I want to ask, Lord, that you would come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for that grace that you've shown me. I receive you now into my heart and ask, Lord, that as I walk this life, that you would walk with me and that I would walk in your ways and in the good works, those things that you prepared for me to walk in, that it might glorify you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.